Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. All right, picking up the bat phone this week, it's solo style for Alec Burns. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. So we tried to call you Fire. We tried to call you Mr. Burns. What about Mr. Fire? That could work. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not really fiery, you know what I mean? You're more like calculated and composed. Well, when I step into the cage, you know, I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> when you finally make that yeah. MMA debut, it's coming. Well, we are without our dear friend Luke Marco this week because... He destroyed his foot at wrestling. It had to be here. It had to be at wrestling. It had to be at MATLAB. Yeah, it's hard to watch. You saw it, right? What did you see? I just saw from... I, just, I didn't see the actual foot. I saw, like, the angle. I, I, I couldn't see the actual injury, but I saw his, like... Um, I just remember him going, ah, ah. And then I was like, oh, something's wrong here. And then, um, yeah, he kind of hobbled off. And his foot was like a... He was like... Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It was like a semicircle from his, his toes to his... Ankle. Yeah, ballooned up pretty quickly. Yeah. I won't disclose the actual nature of the injury nor the foot that it was on, just in case any of his uh, future opponents listen to this and they try to attack his foot. But if you see him, he is walking around in a moon boot. We're sorry, Luke. When you come back, we're going to do a return of the Marco podcast, and he's going to be 96 kilos of pure upper body strength. That's what he's saying. He's going to just train only bench, LHP. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. But it does also mean that we get to have you back on the podcast solo. And obviously, it's one I've wanted to do for a long time. If anyone missed the first one, we went back into your karate jitsu days and your days of being banned from grappling. And that was, I listened to that back, man, and I laughed. I genuinely laughed at the idea that you submitted a higher belt and got banned from grappling because of it. Um. I said I, oh, they said I put it on too hard. Maybe there was a bit of that, but we never, we never know. <laughs> Maybe you did. Maybe the, you're the, telling the, the story the, completely the, wrong. The, but the cross choke from bottom mount, I don't think is the... Um, <laughs> I don't think that's setting you up for anything um, particularly great. Yeah, maybe that armbar came on real hard because he kept holding onto your collars. Yeah, because it was like that. And he, had, he was holding, and then I went for the armbar, and then he kind of... And then went, ah! <laughs> you just Where's tap. It? Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. was, we all tap. Yeah, it's fine. There's some, yeah, there some crazy black belts there. I, did I tell you there was a, um, it was a lot of self-defense stuff? Yeah. I, yeah. Thought, I forgot to cover that last time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, knife defense and whatnot. Oh. But there was, we had one guy, who he'd, he came in specially, because uh, we had a, a coach that would know other coaches, and he brought in a coach that was um, from South Africa. Mm. He was like, he'd fought in five wars. <laughs> and he'd brought in his, uh, he brought in his wife, and his wife was a, an acupuncture yeah. specialist. And it was the most insane session of my life. He would, he would throw, he would, you know, swing a knife, and he would stop it with his, you know, with his forearms, and hit you in the neck. And you'd with go your down. own knife. Yeah, with your own knife. Now he would thumb, uh, what's that called? Like a thumb block. Yeah. And he would put you down to the floor, and he would put down a twelve-year-old to the floor, and then <laughs> stare everyone down. It was. So, how many times did they tell you that he had fought in five wars? Oh, about eight times. Yeah, and were they uh, listed by any chance? Were they? No, I think it's a good chance South Africa's had a lot of wars, haven't they? I feel like <laughs> yeah, a lot of civil wars. Yeah, so I feel like it's a good chance that he's been in five. He's <laughs> at least five. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like he's more of a, a racial enforcer than, a, <laughs> than like a soldier. Who knows? Oh, I don't know, man. That's, that shit's hilarious. Dude, um, 
Alex Volkanovsky and Islam just happened. Everyone's been asking about opinions, who won the fight and stuff like that. We've got um, Gordon Ryan and Pena coming up as well. Where should, where should we, where have we got to start with? We've got to start with Volkanovsky and Islam as well. I feel like we're a nation of su supremely biased beings, but it does bring up some issues with how MMA scores. Like 10 points must, isn't it? Yeah, and even just criteria. You know, criteria and how they view certain interactions. I've always had a bit of a... It's always been a bit of a grey area in terms of takedowns and takedown efficacy. But also, the, the big thing that this fight highlighted is uh, counter-grappling mm. and how that is actually scored as well, or if it's scored at all. I think when you, when you watch the fight back, consensus at this point in time is round one and round four weighs love, mm. right? Round three and round five were Volkanovski, and everyone's saying the swing round is round two. Something I haven't done yet is just go back and watch round two by itself and judge that solely and judge, you know, one the But fight. didn't, uh, maybe I'm wrong if I remember correctly, but didn't Islam finish on his back in round two or is that round one? <sighs> round one he finished on his back. This is what I mean, like, when we're watching the fight, we're watching it with such, like, Volkanovski coloured glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Though, like, the whole nation just wants him to Because I remember I was, I was watching it at a, at a hotel and then, like, um, when Volkanovski, uh, I think Islam had the body triangle and not Volkanovski was punching and everyone was going insane. <laughs> <laughs> it does make a case like, did he do enough to sway the judge's opinion about that hold, like the back control? Because they'll never stand you up from back control. No. They'll stand you up from mount. They'll stand you up from side control, but they won't stand you up from back control. It's control time, there's damage, that's the thing. Yeah. But then if you look at PD Yarn versus Sean O'Malley, that was all, like, everyone was saying, oh, you know, Peter Yarm won because he scored so many takedowns mm. and it had ground control, but he did nothing with it. Yeah. But then everyone said, oh, Peter Yarm won, Peter Yarm won. Yeah. But everyone, maybe because everyone hates Sean O'Malley. I think based on that scoring, a round-by-round -round scoring, you could give Islam the fight, but it's essentially the only uh, scoring criteria where he does win the fight. Like, if you did it as one scoring or pride scoring. Like significant strikes and yeah, everything, Volkanovski. And also, who was winning at the end? I know it's it's not necessarily the best. Well, that's depiction. how pride scored it, isn't it? That is how they... Well, they scored the fight as a whole. And the thing about that is you might look at it and go, all right, well, you know, damage and stuff like that. Who did this and when they did it and what they did. That's one thing. That's one way to think about it. But you can really see why Islam would have walked out of that fight going... Fuck, I lost. You gotta think about it, man. Like, in the beginning, he was able to connect on his takedowns, he was able to land his shots, um, but he was only getting sort of that, that volume output back from Volkanovski, and he was getting a little bit hesitant. He's like, okay, I'm landing what I wanna land, I'm connecting on these takedowns, but this guy's moving really well, he's landing on me back, right? And he was, it made him a little bit stoic, made Islam a little stoic with his striking. As time goes on, Volkanovski figured out Islam more than Islam figured out Volkanovski. So if you were that guy who was landing initially and then couldn't land anymore, kept trying to take the guy down, you couldn't take him down anymore. Now he's hitting you with even more volume and now he finishes on top of you. You're not going to feel like you overcame round, that round obstacle. was 100% Volkanovski. Well, that's right. I mean, I feel like Volkanovski overcame the issues that Islam proposed to him. He figured him out. And he won because of it. Like, that's, that's how you would look at that from a fighting perspective. If you finish on top of someone, someone has to pull you off, you kind of won that. But that's not how the UFC has scored. The UFC has scored round by round. Which brings me to the next point of counter-grappling. What they always talk about with 
takedowns is the efficacy and the outcome, right? So the efficacy of the takedown. Was it a big volume takedown, like a big slam or something like that? Because that can score. But also look at Michael Chandler in his last fight where he suplexed someone and then ended up on like, in, what is it, he ended up in bottom half guard or something. Exactly, exactly like, what I'm saying. And what was the outcome? So the efficacy was okay, right? Just basic takedown, no real damage of the takedown itself. And the outcome is some control time but no damage right so that's how you got to score it the efficacy and the outcome but they don't always do that they sometimes just score the takedown itself and the ride time right how much control time you got from it i feel like they don't do the same thing for counter grappling they don't score the efficacy of the counter grappling and they don't score the outcome well do you score if, if someone throws a one-two combo and you you dodge it does that count as anything it's neutral right like they don't pat you on the back for having good defense right but maybe with grappling it's a little different because the efficacy of the counter grappling means you cook them like if you shoot on me and i sprawl on you hard and i go to a double wrist and i make it hard for you and i make you try to give more energy and i'm cranking you i'm turning you over to pin or i'm whizzering you down i'm sweeping you i'm getting up before you and i land a shot off the break that's efficacy and that's also outcome. I landed because you tried to you shoot. You exchange. Well, that's right. But they don't seem to score counter-grappling on the same grade that yeah. they score offensively. Because Volkanovski stuffed, I think, was it, it, was, it was like seven or eight mm. takedown attempts. Volkanovski scuffed about half of them. And some of them had a great outcome for him where he would like not just scoot back up off the cage, but use the inside elevator hook to get to the wizard to pull him up into an over-under. Um, suck out into a clinch, land. Like, that's a great outcome for a counter grapple, you know what I mean? But are they scoring that like, oh, you know, he defended the takedown, which is neutral, or are they defending it as he countered the takedown and therefore scored? I, th- I feel like that is something that is criminally overlooked. Yeah, in unless it's obvious, like, if you what was that Ryan Hall, Ilya Tapiria fight where he went for like eight Imanari rolls and failed and then just like <laughs> got KO'd? Yeah. <laughs> That's all on him. Like that is all on him. But it's de- it definitely brings up some some interesting ideas about how fights are scored mm-hmm. and and what criteria they're actually looking for. Um obviously damage is a big criteria, control time, aggressiveness, all of those things, but more so on the technical aspects of what is actually occurring. And if you have actually fought or you've wrestled or you've grappled or even sparred, why how the other person can make you feel mentally by defending appropriately like you're giving everything you possibly can to them and they're defending 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 and then they start countering that's got to count for more than it does yeah. also a lot of those judges are boxing judges yeah they're just yeah. the commission yeah, judges or, or like Cecil Peoples yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember how they used to announce the judges as well yeah. like they used to announce the I names mean, judge, of the judges Cecil Peoples yeah 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 they don't do that shit anymore <laughs> it's like judge anonymous one scored the fight uh Against your favorite person. Mm. That's how they do it now. Um, and yeah, so coming up is Gordon Ryan and Felipe Pena. Who's next? Interesting. It is going to be uh, no time limit because they're talking about it not being no time limit. Craig doesn't want a no time limit with Gordon. <laughs> he just wants to start on the back. <laughs> I think it's going to go relatively similar to how it went before. To be honest, Felipe Pena had like a pretty good opening strategy against Gordon last time where he didn't get dominated in the necktie game like he stood taller and he made it really hard for Gordon to try to suck him under obviously there was a lot surrounding that match 
45 minutes in, he verbally submitted. He's, he doesn't really count yeah, that as a submission. Gordon wasn't happy about that. I remember seeing, he was like, this bitch, he, he verbally <laughs> tapped. This isn't a real submission. <laughs> That's a pretty good Gordon Ryan impression, Dash. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, you know, there's some other matchups on the card that I, I feel like are potentially more intriguing, like Bodoni versus Pedro Mourinho. That's actually yeah. a really good match, man. That's the ADCC middleweight champ versus the world heavyweight champion, an openweight champion, yeah. Pedro Mourinho, who's had some really good performances. Um, not recently, but like he's had some good... He beat, he beat Craig in a Who's Number One event, mm. fair and square. He lost to Ty Rotolo. Uh, at ADCC, uh, and he famously lost to Gordon Ryan at one of the Who's number one events as well. But he, you know, he's a super legit contender, and that's like a. I feel like that's a really good matchup if Bodoni wanted to like show what he's been working on and how good he actually John is. John Collar Bodoni trains with Gordon Ryan and all yeah. that. Like he's really. Um... Well, he's a new wave guy, and he's yeah. got that new wave efficiency bullshit exactly, going on. Yeah. Like when you watch back his matches from ADCC, everyone slept on it. Everyone was like, nah, whatever. Like, there's other guys in the in that division. Everyone was thinking about Isaac and Wagner. And lo and behold, like, he just beat, like, beats Denise, beats Lucas Hulkbobosa. It's like, what? Like, this, this guy is super legit. So you go back and watch all his matches, and yeah, he's just doing frame single butterfly half. He's passing this, like, with good strategy. He's, he's using the semi-upright stance and working on counter-grappling, working on foot sweeps, but then using that snap-disengage game to shoot, and he shot multiple times and got takedowns, like, really solid grappler. Um, there's a match between, I believe it's Kieran Kachuk and Hene Souza, or Rene Souza. He's American, so Rene. <laughs> uh, that's super intriguing as well, but I just hope it's not one of those events that goes on for eight hours because I've got oh, yeah. other shit to do on my Sunday <laughs> that I really need to do and I can't just sit there and wait for Gordon so I feel like it's, it's such a cool concept, but if they want to turn Jiu-Jitsu into a spectator sport, 30 minute no time, it's, it's, I think it's super cool because it just like goes on forever, like a 30 minute roll pretty much, but like uh, sometimes I have to like skip through just like... Yeah, I mean, they really got bit when Isaac and Kyle had a fucking three-hour oh, match. that one, yeah. And they, and they um, had to move it to the back. Was so it the, was it who's on. number? No, was it? Um, I think it was the one where Gordon and Felipe were on. So it was yeah. like, who's next? Who's next? That's right. Yeah, that was the final, right? And that was a cool show. That gave a lot, you know, a lot of guys a lot of exposure. But it's just difficult to pull off in this day and age when, you know, you've got an event. I guess flow grappling or flow sports in general makes it a little bit easier because it's an independent streaming device. Mm. So they're not beholden to any one specific amount of time. But in terms of the viewership, like, tell me one person who watched every second of that Isaac versus Kyle. You can't find it because it was almost impossible to do that. Three hours just, yeah. And very similar chains of movements happening, Kyle being super defensive and Isaac passing through very strategically and purposefully not entering the legs, purposefully not entering into front headlocks and darses. Like, he was not willing to put himself in any counter danger. And it's like, you know... But that's what you would do. That's what you would do in a three-hour match, man. You would pace it, and you would keep safe, and you would chill and wait for your opportunities. Like, you'd have no choice. Mm. Unless you would get Gordon Ryan and just get steamrolled. Well, Gordon Ryan's just efficient. That's yeah. the thing. He, can just, he basically goes, pass, S-mount, taps you, or yeah. he'll hooks you. It, look, 
It's a good strategy. <laughs> it's a good strategy. I don't mind the strategy at all. I feel like his uh, his guard and half guard actually has not improved quite as much as his overall game has. I think his size makes it more difficult for him to get inversions and get to the legs. He is huge. He is one ten. Yeah, he's. I think he's probably bigger than that. Yeah. Like he's, you know, if Tum Tum settles down, yeah. then he'll be super big. He's not like. He's 14, 30% body fat, I reckon. He's not, he's not like... <laughs> oh, man, like, he, he is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, he is ridiculous. Like, his whole character, persona, and even the effect of his persona, is fucking ridiculous. But I think we need that. Jiu-Jitsu needs that. If he was... If he was like, we have so many humble, like, off yeah. people that we can't... We need someone that's a bit... I think we need more Craigs, because at least Craig's funny, semi-positive, but... you know what I mean? Gordon is super negative, but it generally takes the negative heat... <laughs> to transcend the sport. It happened with Conor McGregor, it's happening with Gordon Ryan. Like, if they were happy-go-lucky guys, they would have to be, like, probably twice as good to, like, get the same type of notoriety, like, but... Because he would call anyone out and he would say anything, he would just insult them. Like yeah. You, you just look, any grappler that I follow, I look in the comments, there's a Gordon loves jiu-jitsu comment. Dude, big shout-out to Train Angry MMA. <laughs> like, his account is essentially dedicated to trolling Gordon Ryan, and out of all of the accounts that are that way he does it the best so well he's got a lot of like inside connections and ties and the things that he puts out there just cut through the shit so precisely it's it's worth following train angry mma adam jones put me onto that one of course because you know <laughs> but you know craig i'm not sure what's happening with craig right now does he, he have any matchups said he was gonna have a match with merigali yeah. but then that didn't happen and then he had the gabby garcia one that didn't well He's he's 0-1, basically, at this point, because he lost their arm wrestling battle, uh, quite famously. Well, she is huge. She's on... Oh, she is... I, do, well, that's the thing. Like, So, ADCC, there's the under 60 kilo weight class for females and over 60. And that's it. And she's probably approaching, if not right on, twice that Have you seen that, that limit. fight between... I think it was Gabby Garcia, and she versed, like, a 40-year-old Japanese <laughs> yeah, yeah. wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Did I watch that live? Live. Because that was the um, the card where Floyd Mayweather was going to fight the Japanese kickboxer. Oh, um, what's his name? The um, Kyokushin guy. Yeah, uh, What's yeah. his name? Oh, it starts with a T, maybe. <laughs> like, I remember the guy. Like, that was that same card, and it was a New Year's card. And we're waiting for ages to see that fight, right? And lo and behold, Gabby Garcia's versus this old lady who was a pro wrestler. And she and the, the ropes. Dude, the first thing she did was hit the ropes. And we're like, has someone told this bitch? Like, seriously, maybe she knew. Like, maybe she didn't know. Maybe I want to see, like, Dark Side of the Ring, Gabby Garcia versus that lady. Because that was not cool, man. I think she had fights. <laughs> she, I looked up a, up a show dog and she had like she was she had fights in like the 90s Bro, she is fighting Alzheimer's that's, yeah, what, that's her major battle like who, who booked that? <laughs> <laughs> some Japanese Yakuza guy but yeah I remember that but G- I mean Gabby in terms of her accolades as a jiu-jitsu practitioner is pretty full on like mm. she's been a multiple time plus 10 world time yeah. world champion it's like so she could probably beat Craig mm. I love put it like this if they were in a bracket with three people, Craig would come second. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, She's yeah, we to... haven't really given any analysis on how any of these matchups are going to go, but Gordon Ryan wins, Badoni, Kieran, 
Where's Cola Barte? Where is he? Apart from sitting right next to me right now. Oh, I don't see that. <laughs> he got his brown bird, didn't he? Recently? Yeah, he did, yeah. He's Wait, doing he was on purple game. for what, two months or something? <laughs> well, that's the new rule. Yeah. So if you become a world champion at your rank, you can forego the two-year clause and you can go straight to the next belt. Because that's how they used to do it. They used to have a mandatory two years. Because he went from blue, then I saw him have, get purple, and then I remember him getting brown just out of nowhere. Yeah, but when he was a blue belt doing that shit, that was sad times yeah. for everyone. And then his performance, when he, when he came into ADCC trials, it was either West Coast or East Coast, I can't remember. He just came in. Because he beat, he beat Jimenez as well. <laughs> the people that he ran through in that division... It was, uh, he's 15, man, and he's yoked. He looks like Luke Marker. <laughs> this is, where's my genetics? <laughs> Where we, got, we didn't get uh, blessed with the height, man. We got no. blessed with the low center of gravity and ability to scramble, but not the, not the height. Jiu-Jitsu was just a squatting competition. Maybe we'd win with it. <laughs> no, I can't squat for shit, man. My back's all jagged. I'm, I'm pretty good on the, uh, on the sled, though. On the sled? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pushing 250s on the sled. That's because I had to take down massive people all the time, man. My back's not good enough <laughs> to lift You just said Zat Fitness is running a sled exactly, around. Exactly, dude. I am at Zat Fitness. If anyone wants to come and train with me, I am at Zat Fitness at Ranella on any time on a Sunday. I get to do one strength session a week, and I'll be on the sleds if you, you don't want to do come. anything else? No, I do uh, one strength session on a Sunday, like an overall strength session, pretty specific. I get up early on Thursdays and do like three by 10 minute max, like uh, high intensity conditioning for grappling. And I grapple every day. You don't do any bodybuilding? No. You sure? Dude, I've put in, well, this is what happens, man. I put in the work when I was younger. Like I was an athlete from a very young age, swimming before the age of 10 and then getting to an elite level going straight into boxing and Muay Thai, straight into rugby and wrestling. I started doing rugby and wrestling, 14, I'm starting to do weights properly, you know what I mean? And real, like, five days a week trying to get, like, capped delts and shit, you know what I mean? But then that progresses to actual strength work. You know, by the time 17, 18, I'm still putting in that foundation, you know, that foundation of strength work. So I'm trying to keep up my mobility at the same time, but that came pretty natural to me because of what I had been doing previously. But from that point onwards, I found that consistency in heavy lifting was detracting directly from my grappling, like directly from my grappling output, because I was trying to do too much of my progress in the gym. You can't really t- put too many eggs into one basket. Yeah. Because I tried uh, doing like a whole SPD program, trying to like deadlift and all that, and it was, yeah. I come in a train and just destroyed, like CNS, just done. Yeah. It's got to be smart, man. It's got to be strategic. And in order to do that well, it's got to be full time. Mm. Like you've got to literally have the time to get up and do your technique work or do your strength work, hit a recovery hub or go to a physio. You know what I mean? Go to a chiropractor, go to a physio, get your massage in, sit on the Normatec boots to get blood flow, go into the ice bath, go into the sauna almost every day or every two days because of the volume of training that you're doing. And if you're not doing that, then you are going to break down. Mm. And your nutrition has to sort of reflect the fueling that you need to train. And that's why uh, the fight dietitian is quite popular with athletes because his whole idea is that most athletes that he's come across in the path are under-fueling because they're taking diet and nutrition plans from basic weight loss programs that you know Jenny Craig used to put on. <laughs> and they're thinking, well, that's how you lose weight. 
right? But those people aren't burning a bajillion calories a day and their their ratios for energy in versus energy out is very skewed. It's very hard for me to, like I've tried to bulk like bodybuilder style yeah. and it's almost impossible. Like I'll put on a kilo in a month. It's just, yeah. Like, even if I try and eat Hungry Jacks every day. You're young, man. You yeah. will thicken out. Like it will happen. Dude, I remember from, I was fighting a 66 man. I'm just a marshmallow now. Like, how did this happen, dude? If I believe, if I look at a pizza, I fucking put on three kilos. Like. <laughs> but at the same time, if I look at weights, I put on the muscle mass as well. So that's my body type. We're very probably quite separate in that way. But at the same time, as you move a little bit further up, I mean, you're going to be hitting strength gains until you're 33. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I was deadlifting 185 at... Uh, when I was 27, no, just before I turned 27, right? And it was hard, like I plateaued, couldn't get, no matter what I did, I would work on all of the micro movements, work on my posture, work on the speed, work on like different techniques to skew my, like screwing my uh, heels into the floor, work on different grips, work on different breathing postures and stuff, couldn't do it. After the time I turned 27, it stopped really trying, I was deadlifting 225. <laughs> so I got this big strength hit, but you know what else happened? Couldn't fucking recover. <laughs> so my strength went up, my ability to recover went down, my metabolism started slowing down, so I had to figure out, basically had to cut the shit. You know what I mean? Like any strength and conditioning coach is gonna tell you, any good one is gonna tell you the stuff that you don't really need to do in the gym is the stuff that you actually do when you're on the mats. Because we can overload movements real easy. If I'm doing if I'm doing sprawl work in the academy where I have to sprawl 30 times, I'm not going to sprawl 150 times on my gym time because mm. there's just no point in repeating and destroying a movement. Because right? do you think how much would it if someone what's what strength difference does someone have if they have a 180 deadlift versus a 220 deadlift? Would that be that reflective on the mats? Do you reckon? Or it would make some kind of difference maybe in group strength, but. Yeah, probably not really. I mean, because what, what is contingent on someone translating that to the mats? It's their actual skill level anyway. Yeah. So they'd have to figure a way to factor in their new, new progress that they made in deadlift to picking up so guys. There's a difference between, obviously, 100 and 180. When there's a massive difference, mm. it's tangible, but then when it's not that much, I don't think. Especially well, yeah, at I mean, elite level. Yeah, it's the formative level that counts, right? right? You're right. At the elite level, probably you're all going to be around the same mark. But what you're not going to be is the same skill. And so that's, that's where you're going to get your returns technically. You're going to get returns competitively. Um, but there is something to be said for the caliber of athlete that you are in terms of how stable you are, how, how much you can synchronize your body movements appropriately. So the more you understand about anatomy, you've gone through that foundation learning, you've learned how to deadlift, what the technique is and why it exists, and then be able to replicate it under load. And you've gone through like a force production learning phase where you learn how to move heavy stuff quickly therefore you can move other heavy things quickly and then when you add in the stability mobility and direction that grappling gives you then you can actually sort of channel it because i've been told periodization is the best thing for grappling because you kind of do deadlift for three months squat for three months bench for three months and you kind of yep it's man anton menenko is he's a great uh exponent of periodization in training systems for especially the heavier weighted classes i think periodization in general is the smartest way to go because your body is forced into adaption over and over and over again like 
you doing the same exact session, you'll get better and you'll get stronger, but you'll also master that session. You're probably getting better at the technique for those specific movements as well as getting a touch stronger. What if you do like Bulgarian method, which is like where you do the same thing every day? Because people who OHP, they just OHP every day. Yeah, well, that's a whole different training ideology, isn't it? I mean, for us, Ahabi and Tatsu Pavlin, like, that's what they talk about. They talk about volume, at consistent volume over acute intensity. And there's something to be said for that as well. I tend to think somewhere in the midline is good. Like, if you can make tangible gains in your strength and get and maximize your ability to understand and learn your body systems and then make choices about how you want to um, like actually utilize those lessons, then you go, then you go. Because everyone's different, man, and you learn things over time. You learn things about your personal nutrition, your personal preferences for strength, your personal preferences for sport and grappling, and you can really get super specific on the things that you need to work on. If there's a specific chain in your body that's weak, identify that you have weak like hamstrings. Posterior chain. You know, exactly. Yeah. You have the same thing with grappling, right? You can identify there's something that is weak, so you target it. You can do the same thing with your strength work that translates to your grappling, if you so choose. Oh, I've got a weak anti-rotation. People throw me too easily. So I can train that anti-rotation in the gym to get a little bit better at it, and then I can factor it in to my actual grappling so that I can make the technical game. It's things like that, that eventually when you get older and you can't just blast. <laughs> That's the kind of way you have to think, you know what I mean? Plus what exactly? Doubles. <laughs> and run head first into a wall. <laughs> hey, this shit works for some people. Yes, I did go head first into a wall. <laughs> I had to change the segment there, but Alex's like, you went head first into a wall? I'm like, yes. And if anyone who was there at the time could tell you the story... Um, I'm sure they will, because I can't tell you the story. Oh, I you know. don't remember it? No. Dude, I lost a week of my life. It was the worst concussion I've ever had. It's like that was after the whole blood clot deal and after that oh whole God. saga, right? And so I, I've only heard a little bit about that with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it on other podcasts, but those were sort of the determining factors in me really understanding what I wanted out of life. It sounds very cliche, yeah. you know what I mean? You learn who your friends are, you learn what is really important, yeah, but so end, on end, and end, so end, forth. Yeah. Ending on three, I know, is pretty good. Ah, oh, fuck it, man. Like, it's just. Who cares? Undefeated MMA. Dude, I think just, two and just one fights, you can't bro. say MMA. They're but... just fights, man. They're just... And especially at the time as well, it was more about the experience. I learned way more um, with the shallow fights that I had and the analysis of those bouts and those of those around me than I did in actually competing. Like, that's not so much in grappling. I'm learning a lot more now through competition, but yeah. The blood clot was a 17-centimeter blood clot in my brachial, axial, sternal chest wall and sternocleido. So like basically what that is, is like a big clot in my armpit that was spreading. And there was a lot that went into that. There was a lot of big words that were thrown around in that time period in terms of causation. People thought, well, they thought it was cancer. They thought it was lymphoma. They thought it was factor five laden, which is a blood clotting disorder that my mum has and is hereditary. So they're like, oh of course God. it's this. And then no, nope, it's not that either. So they had to do a bit of a study into it, a bit of a case study into it. They brought on a really good hematologist, which is a blood doctor. Um, they figured that it would have something to do with my sport, which it did, but it had more to do with me being a dickhead than just my sport, you know what I mean? So 
uh, it was force clotting syndrome, which is something that like rowers and gymnasts get from over usage from a young age. Uh, chronic dehydration as well, like proper ongoing. Oh, weight cutting. Yeah, from yeah. weight cutting like an idiot. And then I was also, I had sort of those inflammation markers in my blood or those, I, look, I'm not a doctor. There was markers in my blood that indicated that I had had pneumonia. Um, so I didn't know. So I was training through pneumonia and was informed that that would drastically alter your blood physiology, inclusive with all of the other factors. This blood clot started to form and I didn't really know or understand. I, one day I woke up and my hand and arm were swollen like inordinately swollen went to the emergency department and they're like wow you're crazy there's nothing wrong with you so i got a second opinion pretty quick and ended up in the rah um <laughs> you know they wanted to take my arm as well but i mean but yeah because of the size of the clot um there's no guarantee like what they have to do in order to heal you without that type of measure is they have to put you on clexane and then warfarin. So clexane is a blood thinner, it's a subcap blood thinner, so you inject it into your stomach, or stomach fat, which I have ample. Or warfarin, which is a tablet that you take, which is a strong blood thinner that they also use to kill rats. So it's <laughs> rat poison. And then you have to check your INR levels, so it can't be, your blood can't be too thick, it can't be too thin, so you have to check it every day. Uh, but it, within that, what will happen within the clot is it will calcify and then it will shard and break away. What it's meant to do is dissolve it, dissolve the clot. And it's a pretty standard procedure for a blood clot, DVT or whatever. Um, but because of the proximity to my heart and my lungs and my brain, this isn't like having one in your leg with the propensity for it to travel and not dissolve by the time it gets to your heart, you know. Is pretty high. This is different. This is huge, and it's right next to my fucking heart. So heart attack, pulmonary embolus, stroke, those are all on the cards. So they briefed me a few times about my likelihood of survival and stuff like that, because they had to. You know what I mean? I wish I could dress it up a different way. Like, that's what happened. I spent a long time in the hospital. I spent a long time in recovery, and I managed to survive that. And then I had a chance to come back to MMA and ran headfirst into a fucking wall. And then and, you were just kind of... Mm. No, I don't think I need to do this. But, you know, that gave me a chance within that time period because I couldn't compete. If you're on warfarin, you can't train. Because if you get knocked, bruises won't occur. Like, it'll just bleed out. Because oh your blood won't clot to stop the bleeding. So that's the thing. That's when I started investing more in my, myself as a coach and really realizing that that was probably what I was better at <laughs> as opposed to being an athlete. I was probably a better coach. Yeah, just threw myself into that world, personality identification and long-term programming, more study, more targeted study of things that were relevant to me, things that I was interested in. Um, and of course, you know, then if you get a severe concussion after that, you're like, well, I need my cognitive capacity to be top tier if I want to have any involvement in this industry long-term. Well, it's very hard to be a coach and be an athlete. Well, in MMA, if you're coaching and you're still fighting, it's going to be, you're going to have to surround yourself with the best coaches possible. Yeah. Like, then you need to be the one who's watching others. You think Eugene Berryman stepping in and, and sparring with guys, you know what I mean? It's just not happening. But it's hard to make that choice as well. Well, John Dan is kind of not similar, but like, he's got, he can't, he's only got some crazy knee injury. That... His knees and hips are just gone. Yeah. So he is the watcher, the analyzer. But 
he has an interesting opportunity in the way that he can literally sit there. I mean, his dedication is paramount, but he can literally sit there at every session, hours and hours a day, and watch the best guys in the world interact with each other. So what he's watching is them completely seeking the truth of every technique and seeing what doesn't work and what does work, period. Like, no guesswork. Like, this is what it is, right? And then he'll devise the most efficient pathways based on the cycles that he sees playing out in the training room. Um, and also he does a shit ton of study, not just study on uh, grapplers and other grapplers. I've seen, I've heard that he like he just sits around and watches like ancient martial arts all day. And He's a fucking nutbag, bro. And he looks, in all of his new interviews, he looks like he's morphing into a Sith Lord. Like, he's becoming every bad guy out of he's Star getting, Wars. He's getting a bit jacked. <laughs> well, he was jacked. Well, actually, there is that photo of him where he's got, like, cat delts and he's, he's in, like, a really tight sweater. Which we need to address, you know what I mean? We need to address that. If anyone was going to have, like, an efficient cycle-on, cycle-off process, it's probably the ex-bouncer bodybuilder from New Zealand yeah, who's prob- also a philosopher... And, you know, a professor. So he's probably a strong proponent of uh, Gordon Ryan's strength and conditioning program yeah. as well. Yeah. Apparently you need to be strong to do the new wave system. That's, they're do all you, big, man. Do you think that's a thing? Like, people say, well, at, at some point you're going to have to go on steroids. So there's going to be a point... <laughs> If you get to a high, high enough yeah, level, yeah. you're going to have to, or else you're at a losing... It's like what Charles Sonnen said, man. He was like, yeah, there's going to be a point where you, apparently you have to do it, and that point is the first time you fight someone who's on steroids. Mm. When, when you figure that out, it's like, oh, crap, you know? But it's, it's weird. In the States, it's very different. You know, the, it's slightly more readily available. Um, and also... Because of certain things like branding and sponsorship. Like, imagine if a sponsor came to you. This would never happen here in South Australia. But imagine if a sponsor came to you and was like, we're going to take you on as an athlete. Um, we're going to provide you with X amount of dollars a week to buy your food. And we're also going to um, provide you with some super fight opportunities, some competition opportunities. The other thing we're going to give you is this next course of anabolic steroids. And by the way, if you don't take it, we're not going to sponsor you. So that's the kind of shit that, you know, collegiate athletes are confronted with when they're going for their NFL combines and shit like that, when they're going for tryouts. And take any sport, really. Like, it's an unfortunate and unspoken thing that does happen. I'm not saying that there's like a billion of those guys out there who are going to offer you steroids and for contracts and shit. <laughs> but I'm saying that those are the types of decisions that you may get confronted with and it's really sad for a professional athlete or just a guy or girl who really likes what they do and got good at it. You know what I mean? They're passionate about it and then they're sort of forced down this pathway of like having to put themselves in serious internal harm and risk. Because I can't imagine what it would be like to like fight someone like Husama Poliaris or someone. It'd be scary, man. Yeah. Just imagine scary. him grabbing onto your leg. It'd be. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, can you please, like, just please, I, literally, I'd slap hands. Well, even, up, if, please, even, if you, even if you tap, you kind of just. You know, <laughs> I'd start tapping. Uh, like, as soon as we clinch, I'm tapping. He just forgets. He kept going. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here, yeah, this is what we're gonna do. I've got a sheet of paper in front of me because I put out. Last time, after we finished the first recording with yourself and Luke, do we have any questions 
for the guys. And there was a lot of questions that people came back with. I've narrowed it down to 10. And I'm just going to put it out there for the listeners. You want to know a lot about size. That's all I'm saying. There was a lot of, of uh, requests for you know, different measurements of different types of size. And look... I know that you guys didn't sit around in a group and say, hey, let's all spam Nick with how big are they. But that's what you wrote in. So you all independently came to the conclusion that that's what you were going to ask. I think there's a group chat made called Alec and Luke's Podcast. So (laughs) what questions can we ask? They all came up with the same one. So I think you need to have a bit of a sit down and think about your life choices and, and look in the mirror and think about some different questions to ask people if you get the chance. The, uh, First question was meant to be for Luke, but I guess we can answer this for yeah. him. How does Luke expect to get apparel sponsors when he's been seen ripping off and destroying rash guards in public? Oh, I think he could get a creation. If there's a creation singlet company, I think he's... It, like a tearaway one, like yeah. Hulk Hogan, but it's a Croatian. You buy a hundred at a time. And you... <laughs> oh, God. Okay, yeah, this was uh, you know pretty on point, on topic. Which is more effective for retention of gains, acai or Jesus? Or is it a combination of both, really? Um, I think you need to cycle both. So. <laughs> cycle? Cycle on. Eight weeks on, eight weeks off. <laughs> eight weeks off. Eight weeks like Lent. <laughs> uh, what is your actual weekly weights and conditioning programs? And what supplements do you take, if any? So it's a slightly more uh, uh, serious version of some of the well, questions. Supplements, about. I've... Obviously, there's protein, but I don't really take much else. I kind of guinea pig myself with supplements. Like, mm-hmm. I take, I've tried magnesium, zinc, tribulus, ashwagandha, and I don't feel any different. I tried one called Alpha Switch recently. Yeah. It said Alpha Optimization Formula, and mm-hmm. I was like, I need that. It didn't do anything, but it. Well, I know what has, I know what Alpha Switch has in it. It's got a lot of stuff for testosterone production, mm. like Boron, Tonga Ali. I mean, it's also a multivitamin, too. Yeah. Like, a lot of those things are. You're supposed to take two a day, you know? It, you're not at your age. He's, he's suffering from low test. Maybe. <laughs> we just need more. Yeah. So take uh, what's the other one. What's the other one? Turkesterone. Oh, Turk. Oh, take some turkesterone. Well, I mean, it's like an estrogen blocker, essentially. That's that's the way that I understand it. I don't know. I've been trying to look more into this because you know I'm old and shit. But the at the end of the day, if you have a multivitamins, you're having everyday greens, you're getting up and you're training hard and. You're actually recovering, you're sleeping appropriately, you're hydrating appropriately. Those things will make a bigger impact than the patchwork stuff does. Yeah, because um, I've had... Turk is so expensive. It's mm. like $80 for like not many tablets. What so do you, what do they say that it does? I think it increases body mass, increases testosterone. I think it... Oh, what is... There's another one. Improves recovery. Basically just sounds like steroids, but isn't steroids. It's, a people, it's the kind of market, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a strong market though, yeah. man. I'd say a lot of people walking into a supplement store who are around your age, and even around my age, man, that's kind of the stuff that they're going to gravitate towards. Like, what's the shit that can rip me up? Like, give me the pre-workout, like, thermo burner. Yeah, well, what, where, how can I put on muscle mass? I just take a break from pre-workout. It was destroying me. I remember a time period, <laughs> where you may or may not have been dry-basing this fucking... Well, because I would work a full day and I'd be tired, so I'd just have one then, and then I'd go to the gym after, so I'd need it for grappling, and then I'd need it for... Well, that's... You're saying you need it, right? Because it's caffeine and it's a stimulant. But I took, I took one, it was... Um, oh, what was it called? It had a massive line on it, and it was like... 
it would look like the dodgiest thing ever. <laughs> and it, the scoop was about the size of like, I don't know how to, it was a massive scoop. I probably looked three times larger than a normal <laughs> one. And I took a full one and then it like, I was itching all night. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was awake all night and I went into the next morning. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's the beta alanine yeah, just no. like overloading. And it, looked, it said it had 8,000 milligrams of beta alanine. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I was taking that before jiu-jitsu and I was wondering why I was just itching all over yeah. the place. I mean, beta alanine by itself, you can take it as what's, much. What's the point of it? I never... Well, it's a volumizer, right? It's as far as... For, like oxygen, a, for the pump? Or is yeah, it... like a, a vasodilator. So okay. like it, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just saying words now. Hey? Like, I hope someone listens to this and is like, shut up, Nick. You just don't yeah. fucking know what you're talking about. Get like, We should get like an actual... I should try and get a bodybuilder on or strength athlete or someone who really has actually done like PEDs and is willing to come out and openly talk about it because think about the actual information you'd get from someone like that as opposed to us just speculating and talking shit but then it said weights routine yes so weights no, yes yeah. something terrible we're, we're doing everything else yeah, like, <laughs> I do every I do the pre-workout but I never uh, yeah never train no it's yeah. just I, I think do you because when I I've done upper lower I've done push pull and I've done bro splits and I kind of just cycle between them if I do, if I just do all upper lower, I do all bro but you kind of plateau. Yeah. I feel like once, if you start, because my routine used to be just like, it'd be chest and triceps, back and biceps, legs, shoulders, no rest day, and then I'll just go back to chest and triceps, and it'll just be an endless cycle of that. <laughs> yeah, and I I'll, mean, look, as long as you are actively modifying things and, and forcing your body into adaption, even small things can force adaption, like order of exercise. So, you know, as long as you are cycling in that way, then you're always going to get a little bit I, more out. But there's still, like, I've been squatting twice a week for t- two years, mm. I think. Close, close to that. Well, that's your critical lift. Yeah. That's what you feel is getting you the most overall strength benefit. Well, know? that bench, OHP, mm. barbell row, deadlift. Or oh, not RDL. To me, that sounds like a much better pathway than, you know, working in isolation and working on a Obviously, you do isolations as well, but that's, like... You can't, you can't not have those. Yeah. No. So with your supplementary work, it'll probably end up being less in isolation and more direct movements for grappling or whatever sport you're playing as well. And again, it's like spot improvement. Do I need to be faster? Do I need to be more ex- explosive? Okay, I'll designate time to that. Creating force production, creating explosive movements. How many, yeah, how, I, especially in my weight class, how many 70 kilo guys lift like in, in general? Mm. It's not many. Well, probably not targeted for strength gains specifically, because mm. you need to be like of the uh, lower end of your weight class. You probably need to be a 66 guy to do a lot of strength and lifting and come up to 70 so that you can be strong in the weight class. But you've, you've actually touched on something as well. If you train with the goal of being unique as an athlete within the bracket of weight class that you compete in, that's a smart strategy. Because I've tried to like just at 70 kilos have like the most insane lifts and just like if I can because I've done three reps of my body weight of OHP I'm like if I could just do that to someone on the mat just OHP them I, I can pretty much win. This has been a prevailing thought process for quite some time man. I'll, I'll give you the flip side of the coin it's like you know right now I'm 84, 85 because I'm sort of living a little bit better but a little while ago when I was like oh yeah I'm just going to compete and just jump in there I was up at 88 or it's actually like 87, 88 and I was like, there's no way I'm going to cut to 84. Maybe I'll just go up to 91. And that's what I did. And there were some opportunities for me now against, you know, competing against really high-level guys. Like free us. You're going to run into it, right? So how do I train for that now? Okay. Well, the way I'm going to modify my training 
is I'm going to train for a little bit more cardio, a little bit more speed. I'm going to try and wear these guys down. I want to be the smaller, more technical guy in the larger weight class. And that might be more applicable to guys who are much, much heavier than it would be to guys who are smaller. Like if I think I'm going to be the faster guy because I'm 66 against a guy who's 70, that might not really be the truth. Like they're still fucking fast. Like everyone's fast in those weight classes. But in the heavier weight classes, they might have a crushing game plan. And if I can wear on them and make it very difficult for them to pin me and put me on my back in the higher weight classes, then I might have a better shot. And, you know, again, strategy, skill. Was, I, don't, I don't want to speak for Luke, but his weight's routine is, like, very, very simple. Mm. And he's, he's very, very strong. Like, it's a lot of just biceps, bench, rows kind of thing. Yeah. Well, he's got long levers, man. Yeah. And you can generate a lot of force through those long levers, a lot of strength, a lot of stability. Because he isn't a beanpole by any means, is yeah, it? Yeah. No, not, not really, no. And he's going to be less of a beanpole as he moves forward in his career as well. Like, he'll fill out. He's saying 88 right now, but I think you might find he'll go up at 99s and, like, 95s and stuff. And that's going to be real scary, man. Like, Emir is... 91 ish, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's what I see Luke getting to in terms of overall strength level. And Amir's fucking good, man. Like, he's getting better and it sucks. But Luke's just lean as well. Luke's mm. 10% body fat or something. Jesus, man. 9%. Like, striations through the roof. I took the rest of his body fat <laughs> percentage for him. Uh, okay, here's one for you. What does it take to get to 99 cooking in RuneScape? Uh, I'm not answering that. <laughs> You don't want people to know you're sitting. That was a lot of sitting at a desk and <laughs> in year nine and doing nothing. <laughs> I, would, I would finish school and I'd go home. I'd eat just the worst food and sit there and just play RuneScape. <laughs> it sounds like most of us, man. Don't worry. We just had GoldenEye instead. <laughs> Favorite training session of the week? Ooh, uh, Tuesday wrestling, I think. Tuesday, Tuesday wrestling. wrestling. Uh, there's no other class that wears you down like that. Even comp class, you can kind of have a rest break. There's no rest break of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it's like a... it's If you're doing four weeks of jiu-jitsu, that one week of wrestling is like really... It's like a bit more interesting. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's like a... What's the word? Diminishing returns. If you're just doing jiu-jitsu all the time, all I think about yeah. it is jiu-jitsu. I get a bit like caught up. So I like to train a little bit of striking. But then if I train a little bit of wrestling, it's like... It kind of breaks everything yeah. down. And you're working like a really specific skill set. So yeah. you like... You can become like... Uh, I guess you have that edge like... You do. I think the way we, obviously the way we work it with our wrestling sessions is we start off quite wrestling oriented. But then as like we get past the warm-up rounds, which is just pin and just no one does warm-up, the two-minute rounds, we up our intensity, we lower our rest time, and then we add in the variable of having your back taken as a way to get defeated. And then when we go to the drills, the winner stays in drills, which are always just critical, now you can be choked from the back and from the front, have your back taken, and be pinned in, and you can lose, right? So because you've set the standard of intensity with wrestling first, everyone wrestles first. So instead of just people flying onto the back and getting chucked off because they're trying to do jiu-jitsu and the other person's still wrestling, everyone's on that same wavelength. So you get a lot of really good multitasking and blending of the skill sets when you put it in that format. And you learn how to bring intensity up and, and get consistency in technique. It's also, I thought, tough. like, my first probably five, six tournaments, every, every single one of them was, every match I won was just because I was a better wrestler. Mm. I didn't think there was much, dis- like, I wasn't probably the better jiu-jitsu guy. I probably wasn't as technical, especially at Blue Belt. I'm definitely not as technical as a lot of the guys. But when you're, if you have that wrestling, you can really, like, it's, they, they don't, they're not adapted for it. They're not, it, 
I see it all the time, I've experienced it myself, even if they do well early, it's like the match gets away from them. Because they can't connect on anything. They can't connect on the sweeps. They can't connect on the submissions. They can't outscramble you. And they're like, what do I have to do to this person? Like, they're not, you're doing, you're not doing much, right? You're just being stoic, like blocking when you need to block, basing when you need to base, putting pressure where you need to put pressure, using slightly more anatomy-based handles and sniping for submissions through transition. And they're trying everything they possibly can do to move you to get you out of your structure. I think that's the biggest thing that a wrestling base has. You hear it all the time, they have a good base. To me, that denotes they have a good structure. So it's not just that they have good bipedal balancing when they're on two feet, it's their hips are stable, the shoulder girdle is stable, their posting ability is all strong and all stable. You're just not gonna put them in a position where they're uncomfortable ever. I think even the wrestling postures just like that even just developing that standing posture of being like super strong, neck super strong, you can't snap them down. Mm. I think that's super important. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm, I push, but I try to push it in the right way, yeah. in, the, in the right direction. Because most people, when I watch ADCC, people stand very upright. Mm. There's a slightly more upright stance uh, for longer matches, mm. right? So if you're in a, a shorter match, a three minute to five minute match, you can crouch. Mm. You can crouch and set up your highs and lows. But if you're in a longer match, you know you're going to go 10 to 15, you're going to want to get up a little bit, unless you're going to pull guard. Yeah. Just give me one moment. Yeah, so I'm completely paranoid now, and I'm constantly changing the segments every, like, half an hour so that I don't lose all of the audio, which is just did my head in. But, yeah, wrestling's your favorite. Session of the week, who's your hardest role? Uh, probably Luke Marker. Yeah. We roll at the the Derrimus Norwood ring, <laughs> and uh, those are the, the, you can say whatever the, you want about the the, the Derrimus Norwood rolls are just the hardest. The ones. death sessions. Yeah, no, the, we. Oh my god. At ten o'clock at night. Um, yeah. Dude. We scare the the. Uh, I wish I could the, say Luke was my hardest role. <laughs> Dude, uh, my hardest role is uh, Declan, mm. for sure, and friggin' uh, the Collaroff boys, Will Collaroff, James Collaroff, they're, they're monsters, man. Uh, have you ever had to overcome any setbacks? And if so, how did you do it? Setbacks in terms of jiu-jitsu? Or... Yeah, man. Uh, I don't think I have. Not yet, at least. I haven't had any major injury or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. No major injuries. Just oh, yet. I wish it was more juicy than that, man. <laughs> there's, there's no... There's still time. Are you sticking still... around tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Starting a fully locked in heel hook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll see it. We'll, we'll get you a setback or two. <laughs> I need it. Built character development. You know. <laughs> Who needs ACLs, man? We need character. Uh, Favourite grapplers to watch for competition footage or instructionals? Uh, competition footage... I would have to go Leandro Lowe. Really? Yeah, I really like what you like his style. Yeah, the whole Toriando. Like, there's one video that I used to, um, for my first year, every, before every gi training, before every no-gi Thursday, I'd watch, uh, it's just look up Leandro Lowe, Can't Hold Me Down. I've watched that video about a million times. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Um, if you like Leandro, have you seen Jacare's old days? Yeah, just, um, just pressure passing. And, yeah, like movement and pressure passing. He had some crazy matches back in like Brasileiros and Mundiales. Because I'd watch Leandro Lowe and I'd say, I'd, I'd, and his style wasn't anything like, obviously there was, he would have these, you know, he had a few like cool submissions, like he had the rolling bow and arrow choke and stuff. But his style was just 
it would, he would pull guard and sweep, but then it was just all that Toriando passing. I just thought, is this a cheat code? Can I just do this to people? And they would just, they can't do anything. The answer is yes. And I'd go to training and someone would be going 30% with me because I was 60 kilos and I was <laughs> swinging their legs around and being like, oh yeah. That's what that was, god damn. Um, if you have any insight to this next question, do you know who Eric Cartman's father is? Uh, no. You don't know. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a lot of hit back for that, I tell you what. Uh, and this is the last one on the list. What is your favourite and least favourite submission? My favourite is probably straight ankle off, Bordinia. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your least favourite? Uh, for me to be stuck in or for me to be... A any at all, man. Uh, Interpret it how My least favourite? Um... And I don't have long arms, I'm not very, very good at darses. Mm. So maybe I'll say darses, and I get stuck in them a bit, and then I get upset. <laughs> You're fine with darses, man. I've never seen you struggle out of a darse. Uh, when Luke gets, well, if you haven't seen the Noah Dermot, so it's what Luke Marco. Right? <laughs> I'm getting strangled unconscious, you know, in peak hour Dermot. Do they have security footage of this? I think they've came up to us once, and like, you have to sign a waiver. Oh, and shut we, up. Yeah, we signed the waiver and went back to it. <laughs> What did you actually sign though? That was like I a, don't think we read it. It was just. It was probably like a disclosure form that can use all of your imagery for social media. Actually, there's um, there's a on my phone. I'm in a group chat. There's a bunch of randoms that I've just met, and uh, every Saturday at 8 p.m. we go to Damon's Nord and Spa, like just do Muay Thai. You're out of your mind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the characters and the NPCs that you meet at that gym is just. <laughs> <laughs> They're always there saying the same thing yeah. on the same machine. Because I would just walk past them and there would just be these dudes like killing each other in the gym. I'm like, I need to get, I need to get in on them. <laughs> I need to kill them harder. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that is absolutely classic. All right, well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. You've answered all of the questions. Is there anything else you wanted to get out there? Any matchups pending? Anything you uh, wanted to put out there in the, in the ether? Uh, uh, Luke Marker, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> at Noah Dermans yeah. at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. tonight. <laughs> well, yeah, so I'm going to change your name to Tyler Durden, and you are just starting up Adelaide's new strong fight club, Underground <laughs> Derriman's Fight Club. That is out of this world, man. For all of the actual legitimate training that you do at reputable real gyms and do real <laughs> MMA sessions, real grappling sessions, you still choose to do like a fucking underground meet up. I'm out of this world. Anyone I verse, are they doing underground training? Are they, are they versing people? Like, <laughs> so you're saying this is the edge that you get on your yeah, competition. Well, who else is doing that? Training at a jiu-jitsu gym, doing yeah. something. There's a reason they're not doing that, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing something else on their Saturday night. <laughs> as long as you're not going out drinking, then that's fine. It's that's a mindset. Alright, man. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish her up there. I'm looking forward to um, the next time we get Luke back on, we'll get yeah. you back on. And we'll do the proper part two to the team up yeah. and by that time you're going to be 88 he's going to be 96 we're all going to be ADCC trials what winners. if I decide to go back to 60 under 66 I'm you 60. can but don't Gary Tone in it that's all I'm going to tell you that's all I'm going to tell you uh, thank you so much for your time today man it was awesome and um, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing you on the M16 Opens in the future as well it's going to be so. fun guys we'll be back same bat time same bat channel for all the bat fans out there <laughs>